Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Raindance Media. Raindance offer a range of digital marketing services, SEO, web design, pay-per-click advertising, Google Ads, and Facebook Ads management. Rank your business on the first page of Google or build your business's online presence with their range of digital marketing services. Raindance are a boutique agency only taking a limited number of clients. Get more traffic, acquire more customers, grow your business. Don't get left behind online www.braindance.net.au Also supporting this episode is Pinpoint Kicking Aid, an innovative product developed by two suburban Aussie rules footballers frustrated with the drop in goal kicking accuracy and field kicking efficiency. Pinpoint Kicking Aid is a use once stick on rubbery topped overlay for the strike zone of a boot. It's super thin pliable and creates a more conducive surface to aid in striking the football, helping to prevent the ball skewing sideways as it's propelled off the boot. Pinpoint is available in translucent and black and in three different sizes. It's for all players from the professional to the junior football player. Product can be purchased from their Facebook page, search Pinpoint Kicking Aid and press the shop tab Pinpoint Kicking Aid is approved by the game's governing body by the AFL for training and games. Jump on and have a look at Pinpoint Kicking Aid, and we thank them for supporting Hear The Voice. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Hear The Voice podcast. Today's guest is Simon Dalrymple, one of the head recruiters for the Sydney Swans Football Club. Simon also possesses some experience in building a premiership list when he was head recruiter at the Western Bulldogs Football Club not too long ago. He has coaching experience through senior men and the youth development space, teacher by trade, and a really, really great storyteller in regards to his own journey and the way recruiting is today. I want to thank Simon for his time. It was great to have him on, and I hope you enjoyed it. Simon Dalrymple, welcome to Hear the Voice, mate. Thanks, Rats. Yeah, glad to be involved. What's happening, mate? We're in, uh, we just had a little bit of a chat off air, if you will. Um, you're a teacher by trade, but you are currently the Sydney recruiting manager, or one of. Tell us your role and tell us what's happening due to the, the isolation rules, mate. Where do we find you? Yeah, so um, recruiting manager, but based in Melbourne. Um, yep. So... Pretty much we've been on stand down uh, the whole recruiting department since um, since late March. Um, so, yeah, it's been an interesting seven weeks uh, not working. Um, so I, um, I'm a teacher by trade, but I haven't ta- hadn't taught for 18 years. So I had to go back and get my registration, um, which is a thing through the Victorian Institute of Teaching. Yeah, which eighteen years ago didn't exist. So um, that was a challenge to go back through academic transcripts and get all that. That took about three weeks, and then school went back. And I was lucky; a, a good friend of mine's a principal of a primary school, and yep. um, has employed me as a CRT teacher for um, the last couple of weeks. So it's been good, something different, um, get out of the house and earn a bit of money, and 
Um, so, and then I got told yesterday that Stan Dan will continue now indefinite for yes. this or for the next month or two. So, um, which wasn't uh, unusual or not, you know, I've sort of predicted that would happen. Yeah. Um, but I'll hopefully have enough teaching and um, yeah, a few other little things to, to keep us busy. Yeah, interesting. What's CRT stand for, mate? Uh, it's basically replacement teachers. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think what is it? Casual relief teaching. There you go. So it's um, uh, you just get called in yep. for a day or two or three days. Go through an agency. They book you. Um, so look, it's yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah. That's no, good. That's good. It's a it's an interesting story of what people have had to do and and overcome the virus. So you know, you've done well. You're lucky. I mean, it would have been wouldn't have been easy going back trying to find those transcripts from 18 years ago. No, and <laughs> um, and the the academic transcripts were, were further back. Yeah. They, they said that I had gave them a photo of my degrees and that, and um, they said, no, we need the transcripts. So <laughs> anyway, look, at it, I had plenty of time to chase them up um, and uh, we got them in the end. And yeah, so it's good to, I got paid last night for the first time. So that that was an that was an exciting thing to look in your bank account. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, crazy times, mate. But well yeah. done. That's a it's a good story for those that are listening that might be struggling a little bit. That you're going to go to pretty extreme lengths to get it done, but you've done well yeah. there. Um, look, it, is, um, it is interesting because you you almost got to put your park your ego. Yeah. You know, here I'm rocking into the, the school. I'm the oldest. Uh, CRT teacher <laughs> a long way yeah. he's sort of thinking geez life's come to this yeah um, but it's put money on the table to support your family keeps you active and you, 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 you know you're always as a recruiter you're always looking how people learn and watching how kids of today learn with technology so yeah it's been interesting well it's something that I could probably segue into later on if I chose but instead of parking it we will introduce your love for footy and how you started playing and coaching. And there's a really good backstory there, but while we're on it currently, how are, you, how are clubs getting ready for the next crop of draftees? Because if you're being put on standby, competitions are in an unknown. Um, I've had chats with numerous people around the kids, i.e. The, the kids that are going to get drafted, whether they're male or female, if this is to be their current draft year. You guys are on stand down. You've had, to go, you've had to go back to teaching. So, what does this look like for the upcoming draft, in your opinion? Look, look, it's an interesting one, Ruts. We've we have a guy um, who does all our futures. So he basically looks at players as 15, 16, 17 year olds. Yep. So he does reports on those. We've got databases on them. Um, so I've been through all of those back in February and March. Uh-huh. Um, watch some practice games of, of this year's crop. And that now it's been put on hold. You now we're hoping that um, we will get some footy. Yeah. Um, you know, be that six weeks of private school footy or six weeks of NAB league, hopefully. Um, enough sample size combined with what we know of them as, as 15, 16, 17-year-olds to be able to make, you know, some informed selections at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, if it was, there was no footy this year and it was purely on their, their 17th year, um, it, would, it would be 
a harder selection, but at least it's it's something to be able to make a decision on. Um, yeah. And you really need to back your your recruiting eye to be able to make the right decision. It'd be more risk, yeah. but good recruiters can mitigate that risk and and hopefully you, you can find good players. Um, whether there's maximum picks at the draft, it might only be two or three picks per club. All those things are up in the air um, and we, we don't really know yet what the, the structure is going to be like. Are recruiters still keeping an eye on athletes and their, their doings now? I Just off the top of my head, thinking about it now, they could potentially still be keeping a track of these players and seeing how they have reacted during the, the shutdown and whether they've continued to train yeah. in their own setting, whether they've become a little bit of a party boy or a party girl and just think, well, everything's in shutdown, no one's watching. Are recruiters yeah. still out there keeping a close eye on things, do you reckon? Um, look, maybe through social media, but it's pretty well checked now from the yeah. players. Um, yeah. That will be... It's a good point, though, because their, their resilience through this period will be a great um, indicator of how they might be in the future at AFL level. Yeah. We're not allowed to have any contact with them at the moment. So okay. no Zoom interviews or anything like that. Um, we already did do a lot of interviews in February and March. So we've, we've met a lot of the Victorian boys. Um, yeah. But that's one of the things we're keen to do when we do get back is obviously get do more interviews. Um, you know, there'd be a lot to be done because usually we, we sort of do three or four a week for the yeah. whole year. Um, so there's a bit of work to be done there. Are player managers, just before we, we move on, are player managers allowed to approach them at the moment? I don't think so. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure. They might be. Yeah. It'd be a hard one to police, um, whereas clubs are a definite no, no contact. But, um, yeah, interesting one. It is. Definitely is. Well, mate, we obviously will get back into all the recruiting and, and that type of stuff further on. But let's go back. Let's go back to Simon Dalrymple, where he grows up, finds his love for playing footy, and take it from there, mate. Yeah, look, um, eastern suburbs in Melbourne, um, Northbourne, grew up. Just always, you know, back in, in the day there in the... 70s and 80s, it was very much footy and cricket. Um, footy in, in the winter, cricket in the in the summer. I got two brothers. Played a lot of footy in the backyard. We lived opposite a school. Uh, the school oval was sort of um, 60 metres from our, our front uh, yard. So yeah, just love footy. Like my dad didn't play much, but. Yeah, I was probably the of my two other brothers. I was the keenest on it, um, and just just loved it, and um, and, and cricket as well. Um, and then um, was lucky enough to get invited down to Hawthorne under 19s. Yep. Um, and and sort of had to go at it there for a few years. What uh, year, Dally? Was that? That was 1986. Right. So I was a top age. Um, I'd done my HSC or VC back or HSC it was called yep. um, the year before. So I was first year at uni and there Hawthorne was a fantastic club. They won the AFL or the VFL flag back then, not 86. 80s, I played a few games in the reserves, 
most of the season in the under-19s and then played the following year, the whole year in the reserves. Yep. Um, and, and had, yeah, they were runners-up that year. So it was a really strong side, but a great club to be at. And, um, you know, I, I look back on it and think that um, I would have loved to have played one AFL game. So I got close, but um, in the end, I wasn't good enough. I, um, I was small and slow. And as a recruiter, I wouldn't have picked myself. <laughs> so um, that that's not a good mix. Um, and if you're small and slow, you need to be either really tough or um, just have something uh, uh, X factor about you. Yeah, and and oh, I was a good decision maker, but I wasn't a long kick. Um, wasn't overly tough, so you sort of um, yeah, it's hard to make it. Um, but I, I know I gave it my best shot and, yeah, you yeah, loved my time there. Pretty decent era of footy at that time at Hawthorne too. Um, you might be selling yourself a little bit short. was, you know, going into those late 80s, early 90s or even in, in the mid-80s are a, a force. Gary Ablett Sr., was he still at Hawthorne at the time or had he already left? Uh, just gone. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but look, it was, you know, uh, Dermot Brereton, Dunstall, Dipper, Johnny Platten. Yeah, they just, it was an unbelievable team. It was um, yeah. uh, just, uh, so they I think they played about seven grand finals from 83 through to uh, 89. Um, yeah. So, look, it, it was good. And, yeah, you know, I could have got a game maybe at a week at club, but in the end, yeah. You know, yeah, you, I wouldn't have been good enough to last too long. But yeah. um, and Alan Jeans was a coach, and I, I had a great relationship with him. And um, I actually went back to Hawthorne a couple of years later and worked there as my first job. Um, was in in marketing in the um, at the footy club. So, yeah, right. Yeah, so that was. And by then, Jeansy was doing a bit of recruiting, and I got to know him really well and got a good relationship with him and. Um, and, and he, he always, he was he really had a great eye for talent. Yeah. And he used to always say to me, um, if only you could run a little bit quicker, you'd be a good player. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but he, he was, um, yeah, great, great man. That's fantastic. Uh, so it's still a good level of footy, Dells. Where do you end up playing locally? I assume you don't stop playing there. No, no. So then I went playing the, in the VFL or VFA back then. Yep. So had a couple of years at Sandringham, and then the majority of my career was at Box Hill. Okay. Um, so I ended up playing over a hundred VFL games and yeah, represented Victoria and and came high up in the Liston Trophy a few times. So yep. which was in the end that was my level. I was a state league player. Yeah. Um, but had great years. Box Hill was a terrific club. Uh, a lot of good mates there and um, the big ground suited me because I, I could run, had good endurance and um, I wanted to play at the highest level that I could. And, um, yeah, so I had about seven years in the in the BFL and really enjoyed them. Fantastic. Then off to, did you head to the VAFA after that as a player yes, coach? Yes, I did. Yeah. At yeah, Trinity? Trinity. Yep. Yeah. Had a couple of years there as a player and then as a captain coach. Um, won a flag in B grade and then um, then hung up the boots. And I really made it... I hung up... Retired reasonably early. I just... At 30, 31. 
Yeah. I just wanted to get into footy as a job and yeah. um, I got involved at Eastern Rangers as a, an assistant coach. Yeah. Um, and that, um, that really opened my eyes up to recruiting, talent ID, player development, and it was the best thing I, I ever did. Um, you know, Sam Mitchell was coming through, Lindsay Gilby, um, and just seeing how players develop is, you know, I coached their under-16 team and it was, um, it was fantastic. Did you, so Marcelin, when did they come in and are you juggling both roles at Eastern and at Marcelin? No, Marcelin, so three years at Eastern and then I went back and coached Marcelin in 2001. Yeah. So it was a bit of a, I wanted to coach my own team. I'd done yeah. three years as an assistant. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, to put that into practice with my own team. And it was a bit of a risk because I was leaving the, the pathway. Yeah. Um, so I was full on. I was teaching part-time and really coaching part-time. So I was investing a lot in it and was um, putting a lot of time in it and almost pressured to succeed because I thought if I could do well, it would help me get a job at an AFL club. Um, and and I was lucky that we we won the premiership and had a great year and um, didn't go back to back the year after we we lost the semi but then I got a job in the talent pathway at the Northern Knights so um, it sort of achieved the, the aim of it for me. Spoke to one of your assistant coaches actually on this podcast, Tommy Humphrey, uh, last week or the week before, and um, he's worked in footy. We worked it out. It spans over three decades. Uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And he's still going to this day at Richmond yep. AFLW as a, as a development coach. He's worked with so many well, high-regarded coaches. He had you right up there. He actually pinned you in at number one. And then he, he put you back to number two, I think, because he remembered he coached with Darren Buick. But to be in the top two <laughs> is, uh, is still pretty handy. So with coaching... You had, a, you had a skill set he told me about relationships. Uh, he told me about being able to give autonomy to a lot of people around you. Did you develop that skill set when you were at Hawthorne through your teaching? Did all that help you? And then also coupling that with some experience at Easton, was it all progressive? And when you went made the decision to go to Marcelin, you obviously mm. would have been a better coach, but were you better equipped with that small little apprenticeship that you did prior? I think so, right? So... Um... I captain coached at Old Trinity and it was really difficult. It yeah. was just, um, yeah, and I don't reckon I coached that well. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were the best team. We won easily. Um, I wouldn't say, geez, it was great coaching to do that. Yeah. Um, and it was just too hard to try to do both, um, play and, and, and you was just exhausted and, and mentally as well. Um, my years at Eastern really identified the developing side of coaching um, and and teaching. And what I tried to do at Marcelin was set up an environment where, and and amateur footy is tricky because you've got some guys who are serious, some sort of in between, and then others who catch up with mates. Um, And a lot of them are ex-private school boys and they love catching up with their old school mates and... um, so it's, it's a real balancing act, but I wanted to provide an environment for those that are keen that I will help you develop your footy and, and 
be as professional as possible. Um, and I had the time to be able to do that um, because I was only working part-time and I was doing a little bit of career coaching as well. Um, so, yeah, and I've always believed in that I didn't have all the answers. So to have people like Tommy as, um, you know, did the back line and give him the ownership of that, that's his area and he built relationships with those players. Um, and I thought there's expertise there that you want to use um, that I didn't have all the answers. So I wanted to bring them in and, you know, they were clear on their role but they owned their role. Um, and that tended to work well, and, and the players loved the professionalism. Um, and it was just one of those years where everything went right and, and the players blossomed, and from a team that were going to get relegated to, to win the flag, it was a fairy tale. It was very similar to the Bulldogs winning the 2016 Premiership. Yeah. Um, just as, as a things getting on a roll and yet believing in a cause um it's, it's hard to get that it's easy to lose it and um yeah it was, was probably one of my best years in footy just from an enjoyment point of view to see a club that had been down finally win their first ever a-grade premiership because um, you're competing against old zabs and old scotch and St kevin's these schools are a lot bigger than marlin yeah. yeah. marlin's almost like the poor man's private school yeah. Um, working class, but great people, terrific people. And, um, you know, the best part of it is going to reunions and, you know, reflecting on, on that, that, that year. I bet. I bet it is. It's interesting you talk about how you went about coaching Marcelin. This would have been 01, as you said. Yeah. So to this day, mate, so fast forward to 2020 and, I'm going through coaching ranks and courses and stuff at the moment. And we're being educated on what you're talking about, what you did in 2001. So we're still being educated about that now, about giving autonomy, being vulnerable, um, getting better people around you and parking your ego. So obviously if we're still being educated about it now, uh, the opposite has still existed for a very long time. So I want to know, how do you develop that skill set in 2001 to go with that approach? You don't just wake up and roll out of bed and have that. Where did you learn that? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one to re- reflect on it. Um, yeah, whether it's an innate, it was just part of you, that in terms of um, the ego, I'll, I'll give you an example. I rang not their previous coach because that, that didn't work out well at Marcelin and, and it was an unhappy relationship. Yep. The, the coach before uh, coached them to a couple of a premiership in C grade and mm-hmm. a premiership in B grade a few years earlier. Yep. A school teacher, well-respected guy, I rang him and, and spoke to him about, just give me some info about Marcelin and you know, how I should go about it. Um, you know, and one of the guys who was, ended up being the captain he was an interesting personality. He was a full forward. The ball was always kicked to him. Um, I said, how did you handle this guy? Give us some tips. And it was more, yeah, okay, I don't have all the answers. I'm going to learn. You know, use his good information to help me and help the club go better. Whereas I reckon a lot of coaches think, I know the guy who took over from me at Marcelin, he wanted to do, he didn't want to hear anything about what happened under when I was coach. Okay. The ego was, I'm going to do it my way. 
I'm going to put my stamp on the place. And to me, that's the wrong motivation. It's whatever's, whoever's idea it is, doesn't matter. Yeah. If it's a good idea, grab it, pinch yeah. it. I'd, yeah. I'd love going watching other clubs train or you know, hearing other things and then you grab a good idea mm. uh, and you use it because you know it's going to help your players. Yeah. And then I think just being honest with the players and, and you know, especially nowadays, you, you can be found out. You can, a lot of coaches, they're pretend good blokes. They're all <laughs> over the place when things are going well. Yeah. But, and players pick up. One thing that hasn't changed, and I've seen it at AFL level for the last 15 years, is that players pick up when the coach is off them. <laughs> There's one player at the Bulldogs, he used to avoid walking in the corridor when he saw the coach coming. Wow. Because he was that intimidated by him. So your casual conversations with a player, um, in the seconds at Mars, and I used to make sure I'd go and watch the seconds and I'd take notes on the seconds players. Because yeah. I wanted them to see that the senior coach wasn't just about the first 20 players. Yeah. It was about the whole club. And I'd put those notes up on the notice board at training Tuesday night. Yep. And the second player would see, you know, good, good hands off at ground level quarter one. Just little, and it just make him feel better. Yeah. That the senior coach is, um, uh, is thinking of him and watching him. So little things like that. You just, you've got to be genuine. You can't be pretend. Um, and that's, you know, you're not always going to get it right. And you're not always going to have every relationship right. You know, I made errors. My errors were more dealing with committees uh, <laughs> rather than networking up rather than the players. Um, I think every coach has that issue. It's always <laughs> the boards or the presidents or the bloke that's yeah, tipping yeah. all the money in. Or, <laughs> or that would never happen in the Vaffer, though, would it? Tipping money in. But, um... <laughs> Uh, but it's interesting, Rats, because it's and Tommy Humphrey would uh, support me on that. I have a low tolerance for fools, yeah, and I'm often too abrupt with them. I'll say something rather than playing political games. Yeah. I just can't be bothered doing it, um, which has been to my detriment. But um, you know, if I think the person's doing the wrong thing by the club, then I'll say something, and no matter who they are, because to me, it's all about the club being as successful as they can be. Yeah. Um, and look, I, yeah, I, I, uh, as I said, I love my time at Marcelin and great people. There wasn't just me. There was some terrific input from a whole heap of people and a great group of players. Yeah, fantastic. I don't want to leave Marcelin just yet. I mean, we could go on, it sounds like, about it for a long time. But just quickly, I know a story about the grand final and maybe you, you can shed some light or, or tell your version of events. But don't worry, it's nothing too sinister. But yep. I think there was going to be a decision made on a player for that game. And the playing group, this is my yep. interpretation of the story. And the playing group came in and said, if you do this, you're going to lose the whole team. We, you don't know what you're about to do. You're about to potentially drop a guy that's been in with us all year and he's sort of the backbone and yep. it could be really... A really poor area if you go ahead and do it. Can you tell us about it? Do you remember it? Yeah, I do. And look, it's um, it's amazing, Ruts, as you get older. <laughs> and um, like it's 20 years next year since that year, that yeah. uh, premiership. So it's a long time. And because I coached at Trinity, 
and Trinity and Marcelin are right next to each other. Yeah. And sometimes I see people when you're out and you think, is this a Trinity bloke or a Marcelin bloke? <laughs> you start getting a bit confused. But I, I know that, that story and, and it was... It was an interesting one because it's a similar decision to what I have to make now in recruiting. Yes. In that you, you, you're looking at what are the risks here, what are the rewards, mm-hmm. and you're trying to weigh it up. What, what's going to be the, 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 the less risk um, and the, the higher percentage option for us? Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a good one where the, the player involved, uh, he was... Um, he struggled. He's very limited on who he could play on, so he's a defender. Yeah. Um, and I was big on opposition analysis, so I really knew the opposition really well. Um, and we do a lot of work on likely matchups, who's scoring their goals, just a lot of homework on you know who the main targets are. And he didn't have many, um, so that was a decision. And the guy who was going to come in had a bit more flexibility. Um, so then you weigh all that up and you can never affect the, the, the spirit of the team. Yeah. Uh, and the spirit at Marcelin was huge. Uh, and to, to put, make a decision that would put that spirit at risk uh, would, have been, would have been a poor one. So that's where you just you weigh it up. And, you know, look, I can't remember whether it was all the coaches would have been in favour of it. I, I can't remember that, but we would have had a vote and in the end I, I'd have the final say. But, um, yeah, I know um, the players were really strong on that player playing. So um, we're glad he did. <laughs> he, played, he played well, so that was good. It was a windy day, so he's playing on the tall forward. So... They didn't sort of do much. So it worked oh, well. Just give him a slap 20 years later. Yeah. <laughs> what did you win by? What did you win the grand final by? Uh, about six goals. Yeah, yeah. Ruthless. He could have stayed in. It wouldn't have made a yeah, difference. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's, a, there's a time at Northern Knights that must be pretty short after this. Yeah, straight but, after. Straight after? Yeah. 2003 to 2007. Five what, years. So what was your role there? Development manager. Yep. So, great job. Um, you, part of your role is participation, so growing participation in footy. Yeah. I was kick coaching courses, school footy. The other part was a talented player pathway. Yep. So, looking after the under-15 squad, recruiting under-16 squad, and I was basically high-performance manager for the under-18s, so really concentrating on the draftable players. Um, and I was lucky, my, my boss at the time, Peter Kennedy, yeah. um, allowed me to have a lot of input because he, he knew my coaching background and he, he worked at Eastern Rangers when I was yep. there. So great people, great kids. Um, yeah, loved it. Loved the job. So the, the story to this point and the pathway is, for me listening, you go, okay, this is interesting. He's gone from... Trinity, player coach, goes to Eastern Rangers, gets that experience. Marcelin, head coach, not playing. You start to think that the coaching pathway is the pathway you want to go down. So to step away from Marcelin and go into what is a development phase, and the way you just uh, described it then sounds a lot like the direction in where you are today as a recruiter. Yeah. Did you make a conscious decision after Marcelin, and how did that come about? It's interesting. Um. 
I, I was keen on getting in a full-time role in footy. That was my aim um, through the, the, the under-18 system, through the uh, AFL Victoria. Um, and I loved the development side of it, the teaching side from Eastern days. Yeah. Now, the role at the Knights, there was a lot of footy coaching and the talent ID stuff is, re- is where that really evolved. Um, you know, going, I clearly remember at Bullen Park, 100 kids playing over the course of a day. By the end of the day, we got to get that 100 down to 30 yeah. um, over two days in, in the September school holidays. Now, that is talent ID where you've got to be <laughs> looking at the blonde kid who wore number 20, he's got the blue boots on. Yeah. Okay, yeah, good hands at ground level, you know, good speed. Um, and it was just really honed your, your talent ID skills as well as seeing boys like a Matty Cruiser, seeing him enter the program as a 14-year-old and seeing him develop and improve and exit as number one draft pick as yep. an 18-year-old. Um, just seeing what development can happen and how players, what players do when they do get developed properly and they buy into their own development. So um, that was that was always my aim. In terms of coaching, I was more about development rather than uh, tactics and strategies. Yeah. Um, I love building relationship and seeing young people improve. Um, and that was probably the, the core of my coaching. And um, I was lucky enough to be still be, while I wasn't directing as head coach, I still had a lot of behind the scenes sort of influence out on the training track, working with the under 16 squad, etc. That was great. That's fantastic. So when do you get the opportunity to get into your, your AFL job, mate, which, which would be your dream job? Who Do you go knocking? Do they come knocking? What was the process? Look, you, 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 need, to, you need to go knocking because um, yeah. I, I always believe that if you sit at home thinking, waiting for the phone to ring, uh, I didn't have a profile. I, I wasn't an ex-AFL player. Um, development jobs were only just starting to happen. Yeah. at AFL clubs. So I can clearly remember, and I, I still think of it, I thought of it the other day because I drove past it on the way to school, um, going to have coffees with Kevin Sheehan yep. um, and talking to him about what's the best way I can get in the system here. Yep. What, what's, my t- what's my strategy? Um, there was uh, lists, the rookie lists were being uh, increased there was overseas players, there was New South Wales scholarships. There's more and more work for development coaches. Yep. I, I thought my role, my aim was, as a, especially with my teaching background, I had something to sell as a teaching background, TAC Cup background, reasonable playing background, yep. um, some coaching background that, to get a job. Yep. Um, so that was my, a lot of uh, networking, uh, a lot of, you know, I did my level three coaching course, um, always trying to do professional development to, um, to get into position to where I can go for a job. I'd have a point of difference compared to the other 50 people who were going for it. Yeah. Um, and some of those would be ex-AFL players. Um, what can I do differently to add value to it, to an organisation? And, um, you know, I can remember, I can still have got copies of, 
you know, PowerPoint presentations that I put together about how I'd run a development program and, and I missed out on jobs. I'll yeah. never forget one I went for at St Kilda um, and Ross Lyon did, was in the interview and running the show yeah. and, and it was a great lesson that I've never forgotten. I had this fancy presentation. I was going through it. It was Ross Lyon, Steve Silvani, Tony Elshaw yeah. and Ken Sheldon. So some big names yeah. sitting in the room at Moorabbin and, and Ross Lyon is not giving you much, <laughs> uh, not overly, overly friendly and it was almost a bit intimidating yeah. and some of his questions were just, okay, you've written this in your PowerPoint, how would you do this? Tell us when you've done this. Yeah. And it was, don't just put something in the presentation unless you can back it up. Yeah, okay. Um, and I wasn't bullshitting, but I just wasn't prepared under the pressure to have the right response. Yeah. Um, so it was a great lesson and, you know, I, I missed out on that job. Um, and I can still remember Tony Elshaw ringing me and saying, look, you've missed out. And I'm thinking, again, I might have gone for another one. Um Actually, I did go for one at the Bulldogs and missed that. And then um, I got one at the Bulldogs the following year. So, firstly, you're a development coach, not in recruiting at the Bulldogs? No. First year, yeah, appointed as development coach. Yeah. Yeah. What, year, what year was this? That was uh, November 2007. Okay. Yeah. So, development for a year. And then where does the opportunity come to jump into recruiting? Was it always in the back of your mind or was it front of mind? Look, look, it was. Um, I, I coached Vic Metro under-16s also, in my, in, and that helped my development as well in 2007. Yep. Um, but it was... I, 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 I loved it, uh, development coaching. Um, but I looked at it long-term, and what age was I then? I was 40, and I'd never kicked as many balls... <laughs> the footies in that year yeah. and would just be exhausted. You know, <laughs> the training sessions pre-season in February would be on the track from 8.30 till midday um, and my philosophy was any player who'd come up and ask me to do touch with them, yeah. I'd never knock them back because <laughs> you're there to serve the players. Yeah. Um, and I thought, geez, I don't know how long I can do this. You know, do I want to be doing this when I'm 50? Yeah. Um, and I thought I'd keep going, but I was lucky, really lucky, that um, Scotty Clayton was the recruiting manager uh-huh. and he got a job at the Gold Coast um, as, as head of list and recruiting up there. And that meant that an opportunity was open um, and I, I, I'd done a good job as development coach, I thought, and the club were really happy with me. Um, so... I was sort of lucky to be, um, you know, on, on the spot and and put my hand up for the job and, and ended up interviewing and and got it. Wow, that's a fascinating story. I didn't know that either. That's, uh, that's cool. So how does how's the transition and what do your days look like now going into that space? A lot different. So it was a lot more freedom. Uh, development coaching was similar to teaching in that, in teaching your life's run by the, the bell yeah. uh, and the clock and, you know, first period starts 8.50, et cetera, et cetera. 
and coaching meant you know training starts eight thirty. You got to be there. Whereas recruiting, you you know, you're running your own show, which in a way I liked, yeah. um, and it was similar to my job at the Knights in that you you know you could start at eleven a.m. and finish at a coaching course at ten p.m. at night. Yeah. Um, and recruiting is like that that you might have interviews of an of an evening. Um, so I love that side of it. Um, I love the different parts of recruiting in the the, the analysis, the organisation. Um, you are still you know, watching really good standard footy, uh, and it's a difficult role to be able to project where a player can get to. So I love the complexity of that. Um, I miss the relationships with the players. Yes. As a development coach, you know, you're looking after the players, and uh, Eastern Wood was one of the players I was looking after, and Jared Harbrow, and you, you, I'd still see him around the club, but you don't have the day-to-day dealings because you're yeah. looking at the futures. But um, yeah, in the end, I love footy, so to get paid to watch, you know, probably watch 150 games live a year. Wow. And to watch a lot of vision during the week, you, you, you're so lucky to do that. And, um, and then to be able to analyse and weigh up why is this player better than that player and what are the reasons and how do you come to that decision. Um, and you might do all that and then you find that both of those players go before your pick. Yeah. Um, so there's a bit of luck involved, but in, in the end I've found that you, you tend to make your own luck as in most things in life. What's the balance look like at that point in regards to what you're watching and where you're watching it? So you touched then on, you know, talent in the, the TAC Cup or the, the sample or the waffle, the, the youth, we're talking 17, 18-year-old boys at, at this point. But are you also watching other AFL games to for players that may be out of contract or maybe you know withering away in the VFL and you think they're talented enough to play league footy what's the travel look like in 2008 um, in, in that role and yeah what's happening in, the, in that stage yeah it's interesting so it was I got appointed late 2008 for the 2009 year yep. um, it was interesting in that the budget was um, was unbelievably low so yeah. I was doing I was recruiting manager, but I was also what they uh, created a role called fo- football partnerships manager. Right. And this is how far the Bulldogs had come. The Bulldogs used to rely on a shared services model where Vic Uni would donate services to their club, but we'd, the Bulldogs would need to do things for Vic Uni. And I was a conduit for the footy department to be able to do that relationship. Right. We'd have the same thing with Williamstown. We'd have the same thing with Western Jets and have the same thing with Maribyrnong College. <laughs> so I was doing that um, as well as um, a first-year recruiting manager. Wow. And I was the only full-time person. We had a couple of part-time guys, two part-time guys on 25 grand. They'd come in about three days a week and yep. the weekend. Um, and then I was the only full-timer. Um, so, yeah. Didn't didn't do it well, you know, yeah. Wow. Made errors. We're very much Victorian based. Um, my knowledge of competitions, all our part time staff were all new, so yeah. they were freshmen as well. Um, so had 
little understanding. I'd never watched a waffle game of footy in my life. Yeah. Um, didn't understand that, or didn't appreciate the difference in standard with sand for waffle and, and TAC Cup. Yeah. Um, so the quality of vision you'd get from those states was, was uh, average and I didn't have time to watch it. Wow. Um, so um, hence, uh, in a way, I was set up to fail uh, and it was no one's fault. The club, club had a $10 million debt yeah. um, on a shoestring budget and it's almost a warning for what might happen post this virus. If you cut too deep, you end up affecting your processes yeah. and you make errors um, because you can't, there's so much time that goes into it. If you want to do it properly, you can't cut corners. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was because of the budget. We were, we were cutting corners and, and inexperience and made a lot of errors. <laughs> Unbelievable. So any come to mind that, that stick out? Yep, a clear one, which to this day my oldest son keeps reminding me. Right. Um, there's a guy called Nat Fife. Yeah. We, um, we, he went pick 19, I think it was. Yeah. And we had pick 15. Oh. And we didn't pick him. And the guy we picked at pick 15, a guy called Christian Howard, played about 30 games and got delisted after five years. Wow. Um, but I always tell him that I always look at the positives. Melbourne overlooked Nat, Nat Fife three times. They had picked <laughs> three, 17 and 18. Yeah. Uh, they could have picked him three times. But, yeah, I just didn't see Fife play enough. We yeah. interviewed him. We went over and interviewed him and, um, and was impressed by him, but didn't, didn't see him play enough and couldn't could make a, a, enough information to, to rate him accordingly. Uh, I didn't know that one. It's a, yeah. Thank yeah. you, yeah, your son. Good on him for just bringing that up every now and again, just to keep <laughs> you humble. To, yeah, bring you down to earth. And you know, <laughs> I say, remember the bond? <laughs> yeah, he goes all right. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah, the main thing is, and it's similar to my coaching, you know, I learned a great, exam, great lesson from that. And yeah. I copped a heap over that with Bulldog supporters. Yeah. No. Give me an example. I can remember being at a VFL final, a grand final that Eddie had. Bulldogs are playing. Christian Howard's playing in the VFL. Yeah. Turned the ball over, and this guy sitting in the row in front of me yeah. said to someone, he's played next to him, didn't know who I was from a bar of soap. He said, Can you believe we overlooked Nat Five for that bloke? <laughs> <laughs> and that was five years later. And, and you know, you're just thinking, I can't get away from this. But, yeah. Did you tap him on the shoulder and go, oh, but, but Bontepelli's pretty good, isn't he? Yeah, and Bont had only been there a year. So, and a lot of supporters just think they remember the, the negative ones. But, look. Um, that's easy to do. We're all experts in hindsight, yeah, that's for sure. And the supporters were fantastic later on when uh, success did come. You haven't paint, painted an overall, overall great picture of where the club's at in that time with the debt um, and obviously the, the hurdles that you're having to go through from a recruiting standpoint. But it's only maybe six to eight years after that the Bulldogs win a premiership. And even in and around the time that you're being employed for that role, 
you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong here. Rocket Eats coaching them, and they've made at least one to two prelim finals. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So made three, made three prelims. Three prelims. So for all the, and it's not doom and gloom, but I'll use the phrase for the little bit of doom and gloom that you've put out there of the current climate back then. Um, you're still able to get results on the board. You're still able to recruit players who can get you that deep into a season. And, you know, with the budgets and the restraints that you had around you, it's a remarkable effort. What? Just take us back there, actually, before I yeah. ask um, how do you get to where the, the premiership ended. But at that point, how are you getting that done, Delhi, with all the yeah. restraints that you've touched on? I look, I look, I... I couldn't have any take any credit for any of that. That was so. Two thousand and eight, I was development coach. Two thousand and nine, yeah. prelim. So eight, nine, ten, yeah. um, I was recruiting, but none of the players I had recruited played in those finals. Okay. All of, all of that work was Scotty Clayton, who'd yeah. done a terrific job. Yeah, with budgets even worse than the one I had. Okay. Um, they had nothing like you know, They had some years of bulldogs. Couldn't even fill the rookie list yeah. because didn't have enough money. Wow! Now we've seen how many good players come through have come through over time on the rookie list. I can remember in my first year we had to have a fundraiser and invite supporters along to put the tin around to raise money to pay for a rookie. Wow! Um, so look, it was great work. Scotty did a terrific job, um, yeah. and, and the. the yeah, had a lot of talent. Um, we're a bit unlucky. Probably one of those years could have got made the grand final. Um, but for a club that was in the bottom quartile for footy department spending, they were against the norm. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't sustainable. Um, and hence, you know, the players got older, moved on, had to go through a rebuild. Um, yeah. And there were some tough years as the the AFL started giving the clubs a bit more money through equalisation um, and, and that really helped uh, mean that you could be a bit more competitive. Uh, the gaps between the haves and the have-nots lessened. And your resources were built upon in that time too? They were, yeah. And it was a part of management of that was um, to do it gradually. So, yeah. for example... The guy that started on twenty five grand, um, you know, six years later he was full time on a hundred grand. Um, so we're able to just build it up gradually, um, and in the end, you, you do things with the budget where your, your year runs from November one to October thirty one. Yeah. You might employ someone in recruiting from March one to October thirty one, so you're not paying the full. Uh, calendar year so you employ them and that gets them into the job at 60 grand and then the following year they might be on 80 grand so we will yeah and the club was good that we gradually built up resources to now where the Bulldogs would have seven or eight full-time recruiters Um, they're well resourced so it's certainly been a big change talk us through building the list that become eventual premiers Look, it was um, it was fascinating. It was a it was a great um, a great challenge and really enjoyable because you're building things and you you go through tough times um, in terms of uh, some heavy losses and you think to yourself, 
you know, you, you're coming home from the footy, you might be on the plane from Perth, you land at Tullamarine at close to midnight and then you, you look down and you, you see the scores and you see you've been beaten again by 10 goals and you think, oh, God, this is a mile off. But to go through that and then get to the time when you, you know, you're at the grand final watching um, the players that you, you recruited uh, is just an enormous thrill. Um, we, we did it. What we tried to do was just make, make the most of each draft pick. Um, we didn't want to have be at the bottom of the ladder for a number of years where you're getting all these early draft picks. We had one year, actually we had three picks inside the top 10 spread over two years. Um, so that was Jake Stringer, Jack McRae and Marcus Bontempelli. Um, and pretty much all the rest of the picks were, were later picks. So it was getting your early picks right, but then also getting some rookies. And, and we got Luke Delhouse. Jason Johannesson as, as late rookie picks. Um, then you got guys like yeah, help with some father sons. So we had um, Tom Liberatore, Mitch Wallace, Zane Cordy. Um, but you still, we did a lot of work on our father son pro- program because we thought that was a, a bit of a um, an advantage that we could have if we could we could coach the players. So that was a bit of the coaching. In, in that involved in that program as well, um, and and just yeah had a really good process, had good people involved, um, and and were lucky enough to make some good decisions. How much collaborating and conversations are you having with the coaching staff about the people that you're recruiting at the time? Is it left up to you and sort of you've seen something or? Or one or two things, and you draft the player, and then it's up to the it's off to the coaches. Is it that sort of all care, but then no responsibility? You're handing them over some for them to be coached and developed by the coaches, which is their role. Yeah. Um, how does it all work? Look, it, it it varies from club to club. From from mine, and it depended on who was the senior coach. So you had Rodney E. Basically, didn't have any interest in it. Yep. Um, Brendan McCartney was passionate about it, full okay. on. Yeah. Um, would come to interviews with us, with some of the players. Yeah. Um, and, and I had a really good relationship with him. We had our, our disagreements. Yeah. But um, uh, he, he was a good person. Uh, and in the end, I'd have the final say. So pretty much during the year, you, you're left to your own devices You'd have some catch-ups along the way at list management committee. Um, then come the end of the season, you'd have checkpoints of some meetings where you'd get input, but the, it's a real fine line because you've got to be careful that you don't give the coaches too much say. Uh, and it's almost a game in terms of you, you let them have a say, but really, <laughs> yeah, their input, they're only seeing about 2% of what you're seeing. So, <laughs> Should they have an in, in, impact on the decision-making? Probably not. And in the end, they might see the players a month out from the draft. Uh, come the draft, after the draft, they've probably forgotten a lot of about the players. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's a fine line. What I tried to do at the Bulldogs, the conditioning staff, the sports psychologist and the medical team used that, their expertise. They were heavily invested yeah. and they really 
challenged our thinking and gave gave some really good expertise. The coaches were were the head coach mainly would have some input in terms of the types of players, but um, yeah, he 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 wouldn't. I wouldn't just okay. I'll get that player because that coach likes him. Yeah. Sometimes I got influenced too much, and that was often uh, an error. Um, my philosophy was: you got to back yourself, your team. If you're not prepared to have a go at it, live and die by your own sword. Yeah. Rather than pick a player just because it makes the coach happy. Well, three years later, when that player fails, people will be going at the recruiting by not the coach. Yeah. And really, the coach and coaching and recruiting are different skills. Um, and majority of coaches in my time, as in assistant coaches, have got no idea on recruiting. Yeah. They just don't see it. And be, because coaching is about relationships. Yeah. It's about... So all, all of us, all, straight away, you're biased because you want to like the player. As a recruiter, you need to keep the relationships out of it. Yeah. Whether I like a player or not, their personality is irrelevant. Can they play? Yeah. Can they, have they got the tools to be a good AFL player? Whether I like them because they remind me of myself or whatever else uh, is irrelevant. So that's where coaches can... Tend to, oh, I really like this kid because he tries hard. He might try hard, but he's not good enough. Yeah. So that's a, the sort of the balance, and that's a political game, which, um, yeah, as my troubles at Marsland, <laughs> dealing with committees. It, in the end, it, one of the reasons I left the Bulldogs was because um, probably people would say, "Oh, he didn't listen." Well, I listened. I just didn't always agree with what they said because I didn't think it was their role. And unless your manager supports you, that's when it breaks down. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a huge argument with Rodney E over Jason Johannesson and Luke Delhouse. He didn't want it, either of them. Yeah. He wanted two experienced guys just to, as list fillers because yeah. he's in the last year of his contract. Um, you know, he, he, his, his words to me were, Simon, we better not get any fucking injuries. <laughs> and lucky the CEO at the time supported me. And he yeah. said, Mate, Rocket, don't talk like that. And he supported me. We're backing Simon's decision. Yeah. And then Johannesson wins a Norm Smith medal. And Dowhouse plays in the Geelong final series last oh, year. And Dowhouse has been a 150-game player, picked 22 in the rookie draft and he was in our best players in the you know, top 10 in the BNF for a number of years. So. Yeah, of course, you can't forget that. And obviously played in the premiership too. And Yeah, and with yeah. the start, like he, he just fell out with Beveridge in the end, but had a great career and he was a great fella. So you, you think those lessons, that happened in 2010. That happened in my second year. So I was still very raw and I had sleepless nights over it. Yeah. Uh, and Rodney hardly spoke to me the following year yeah. and then he got the flick. Um, which I wasn't disappointed. <laughs> um, um, so it's, it's, those lessons hold you in, in good stead. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, in the end, you've got to have the courage and conviction. You've got to have a go at it. If What's right for the club? Before I ask about the interview process and potentially some interesting stories about parents or players or living rooms and travelling and that type of experience... Just on what you're talking about now, 
it has to be for me listening. It's got to come with experience, but how do you forecast while watching a player at a, I mean, you guys are watching them when they're 13, 14 now, aren't you? And then you're tracking oh, them 15, 15, 16, 15. 15. 15. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So how, how are you forecasting that a Johannesson or a Dalhouse? Obviously they're going to be part of a standout bunch um, in their draft year, but how do you forecast that they're going to be that player that they are when they get to the AFL or are you sort of running a bit of a, a gamble as well with recruiting? Oh, look, there, there's a part of it, probably, yeah, I don't like, probably wouldn't call it gambling, more projection. It's a bit like the, the stock market. You're trying to predict, um, well, that's suppose the stock market is more gambling. But, <laughs> um, trying to predict where the player might get to based on a set of indicators. Yeah. Uh, and, and experience has a huge part in it because, you, and that's where the night stuff was important. Seeing, you know, I saw David Zarakis as a 14 year old. Yeah. He could, could hardly run endurance wise. Saw that improve, saw the impact that have had on his footy, his footy smarts, and just saw development in front yeah. of your eyes. Um, so it's that projection. And if you've seen that previously, you look at a player and you straight away, and this is where the, the, the art of recruiting comes into it. You look at a player and you think, what what can he become in four years? Give yep. him four pre-seasons, that skinny little kid can turn out to be, you know, a big, strong body, quick. What would his speed be after four years in the gym? Yeah. And that was Johannesson. Like, he, he was a, a tiny, timid little boy, mm. but a beautiful mover. And he just floated across the ground, a bit like Stephen Hill from Fremantle was yep. at the time. Yeah. Um, and you look at him and, and think, and you analyse his vision, and he was timid in contested ball, but when he got the ball, he made good decisions. He wasn't panicked or rushed. He was composed, and you think, okay, he's not. I've seen usually timid players rush are rushes with the ball. Yeah. They want to get rid of it because they're scared. They're they're worrying about physical contact. Yeah. Um, and that's you don't want to. You don't want any of them. In your team, um, so you're looking at that, saying, "Okay, where could I see him play? Does he have the attributes for that role? Um, what sort of person he is? You do your homework on him, speak to his teachers. What sort of kid is he? You know, Johannesson was a had good self belief. He was he'd go into a room of strangers and he could mix in. Yeah. He wasn't like getting through the door thinking, "Shit, should I be here?" Mm. Um, and AFL players need self-belief because they're on the big stage yeah. being assessed. And if they're doubting themselves, then they're often going to get more negative feedback from coaches and they end up doing their head in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's sort of the things we look for. And, and you do try to predict where they might end up. Like I was thinking about it a couple of years ago when I was presenting at the Bulldogs and of over my time, ten years, nine years at Bulldogs as recruiting manager, I probably assessed over a thousand players, <laughs> and, you know, of of where they would get on our talent list, and then where they'd rank on our talent list, um, and you might get seventy percent of those assessments right. Yeah. Um, but not all of them will hurt hurt or hinder you, or, or you'll get rewarded by it because some other club might pick them up. Yeah. Um, 
and you don't have a pick or whatever it might, but you just need to get that percentage up and get the crucial ones right. So um, when you know this player is going to be your pick, are you going to pick him or someone else? Um, So you, you do, experience helps a lot. When have you been faced with a decision that might not be that of others in, in regards to the kid that might be a little bit slower, unfit, uh, maybe even a bit of a rat bag uh, outside footy, Yeah, but he has something. You know that he's got that one thing and that if you can get him right and into a program, he, in the end, in that three to four year period, which you touched on, he could be anything. Do you have a, a story like that that's worked or even one that's failed or one that you bypassed and he went on to another club and, and had a career? Yeah, yeah, it, it's it, yeah, it's interesting. Um, so uh, uh, an interesting one was so uh, Jake Stringer, um, yep. highly talented junior, but left school at fifteen. Numeracy, literacy issues. Worked at his uh, family's um, dairy up in Bendigo. So yep. he was eighteen, going on thirty. Yeah, he could come in and and. Um, and have a conversation with you, and he's your best mate. Yeah. Uh, but he was, he, was, he was half a bullshit artist. Yeah. Um, and, it, it, you know, I can remember saying to him, he did a bit of training at the Bulldogs, and I was saying to him, Jakey, did you have a big big weekend back in Bendigo? I knew he was back in Bendigo for the weekend. Ah, oh, no, nah, no, nah, didn't touch it. Didn't touch, no, nah, didn't, was in bed at nine o'clock. Say, so, come on, mate, you don't need to bullshit me. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, you're allowed to have a beer. Um, so he was, there was some risk there with injury and so forth. Um, so that was a, we knew he was a bit of a lad. Um, I think he so broke his leg in his draft. He did, yeah. yeah. So we, we analysed his running gait. Um, you know, we had filmed his running gait on a treadmill and did a lot of work on him and, and seeing whether his leg from our medical team were fantastic. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's a fine line between a lad and, and a, a bad egg. Yeah. Um, and often it can be, is it maturity or is it the environment they're growing up around? Yeah. How is our club going to handle this player? Yeah. Do we have the resources to manage him? And that's where your communication with your footy department is really important in saying and presenting all the strengths and the, the potential risks to everyone and getting their buy-in because yeah. the recruiters can't do it themselves. You need to have the welfare guys, the development coaches, everyone on board, especially the senior coach. Because yeah. he'll, if he's off the player, then you're pushing it uphill. Yeah, okay. to, to make it a success. So, um, what did he have that, that you had to have? I guess what all that resource. What as a junior, what did he have that you you couldn't resist? Uh, unbelievable power. Yeah. Uh, and what he did, like, he's all Australian as a twenty-year-old, twenty-one-year-old, uh, um, kicked fifty goals in the grand final year or close to fifty. Um, power in the air power at ground level and his testing after he got to the Bulldogs was showed that he, he was the most powerful athlete they've almost ever had. Wow. Um, and it was just the, the, the dangerous as a forward to be able to kick goals in, in numerous ways. Yeah. Um, and look, yeah, it was 
it, it ended poorly for him at the Dogs, but he, he, people forget he's an All-Australian 2015, Premiership player 2016. He, he's still, I reckon, going to be a really good player. He's yeah. just probably had the success too early and, you know, having a partner and children at a young age, he wasn't mature yeah. or smart enough to handle it. Um, but I think he'll be better when he's 26, 27 rather than as 21, 22. So he's an interesting, interesting one um, with the risks and reward of that type of player. Yeah, that's interesting. So you have your time there and then you end up at Sydney. Um, tell us about the journey getting into Sydney and why, I mean, you've touched a little bit on the relationship with Ede and stuff like that. Um, why the change? Was it you made the decision? Did they come knocking again? Was it a did you go knocking this time or no? No, I uh, yeah, Bulldogs was interesting. So we'd won the premiership 2016. So as everyone would understand, it was just an unbelievable year. Um, you know, dream come true to be at the MCG seeing all these players. Um, that you drafted as kids run around and play the way you envisaged they could play on the biggest day of the of the year. Um, so great satisfaction. Um, the following year was, was was tough in terms of the club was getting over that that premiership. Um, some relationship issues. I had a good relationship with the coach. Uh, 2015-16, 2017, um, we made some changes within the recruiting department. We were growing and we're trying to manage that change. Um, We had a new football manager who um, wasn't on the same page to me in terms of how we managed uh, the change and managed staff. And and he had no, he's never been a footy manager before, had no idea on recruiting. Like, he just didn't understand. Um, he just, I often said he just thought that Bontempelli just rolled up, knocked on the door one day and turned up. <laughs> yeah. um, didn't know the work involved and the, the risk and the reward and, and the processes. Um, and then he, he started to query uh, me. Um, the coach had enormous power. Um, and in a way, I think it went to... He had no one pulling him into line, so yeah. he was he was wanting to um, override the recruiters. Yeah. Um, he had a saying, "Let the bakers bake." Yeah, that was his saying. Two thousand fifteen, sixteen. Well, in two thousand seventeen, that changed. Um, and in the end, got to the end of the year, I got overruled in a just recruiting decision. But all the recruiters were unanimous on going another way. The coach wanted this other player. The football manager went around a room of people, none of whom had been involved in recruiting, and said, who do you want, player A or player B? Yeah. And their vote was worth as much as my vote, as much as the two other full-time recruiters. And I, I just thought, I don't, this is not, I'm not enjoying this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to have a. I want to recruit. You work hard all year to recruit a player, and then you get overruled by someone who's got no expertise in that area, and the logic around it was wasn't great. So, 
How many man hours, Dally? Because I, I want to touch on this. I, I did speak about the interview process. How many man hours would go into one player recruited? It's an interesting one, Rutz. We, we did do, in preparation for this meeting, I can't remember it exactly, but we went through how many hours of vision we'd watched on these players because it was a comparative thing. Okay. To compare to the other people voting yeah. on the player, I wanted to say, well, this is what not just me, but our recruiting team have done in preparation for this. And you're saying we should go this other way based on this amount of information? Yeah. Are we sure this is the way to go? Um, enormous amount of hours. Like, you know, you watch 150 games live, you watch all your vision, you know, spend three days a week watching vision, interview them about three times, we do investigations on their character, yeah. all the psych assessments, the GPS data. There's so many different data points that you're analysing. Um, so you, you've got to be in it full-time. You can't do it if you're only sort of on, on the outer. Um, so that meant that I thought, nah, I'm not enjoying this. I was under a lot of stress. You'd go into meetings not worrying about the best outcome, more worrying about the political side of things and, you know, what should I say in this instance? I wasn't sleeping. My health was deteriorating. I was grumpy at home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we didn't have a dog at the time, but I would have started kicking the dog <laughs> or the cat. Um, it was, yeah, time to get out. And I was almost going to go back to teaching, get out wow. all together. And luckily, an opportunity came up the Swans. Kinnear Beatson, who's the Swans list manager, I get on really well with. Yeah. And he rang me one day, said, Oh, look, we've got a vacancy as a recruiter. Is there anyone you'd recommend? Right. And I was, I was hitting golf balls at the time and it got me thinking, jeez, um, I might go for that. <laughs> and yeah. I ran back and said, look, I'm interested. And then they sort of upgraded the role to recruiting manager and, um, and I left. It was just a breath of fresh air to get out. Yeah. So your current role, you touched on that you, you get the best of both worlds. You're based in Melbourne. Yeah. So obviously you don't have to uplift the family or anything like that. How many hours a week in Melbourne are you? How often are you travelling? How much contact do you have up in Sydney? Uh, look, the Sydney stuff is um, we have a lot before the draft. We go up there for a week. Um, at the start of the year, we, we go up for another week. And then it's sort of depending on where the games are during the year, we'd go up for some meetings. But it's not, it's, it's not a heap. Um, the travel... A lot of phone calls and so forth and, and, and meetings um, over you know, conferences, teleconferences or Zoom will be from now on. Um, travel would be would be interstate probably two out of every five weekends. Yeah. So really try not to be too Melbourne biased to make sure you nothing beats being at a game. Yeah. Um, so a lot of travel. You're working every weekend basically from... March through to October, um, get a day off, get Mondays off uh, during the, the footy season or during those months. Um, yeah, so a lot of frequent flyer points, um, a lot of hotel rooms. Gets you get a bit tired of that later in the year, but look, it's a good lot. It's a great lifestyle. You're staying at nice motels. You're watching footy. You know, you 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 yeah, you're on. The pointy end of the plane, you're not in business class, but you're the one behind it. So, 
you, you get in front, you don't have to queue up too much, you get priority access, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, although I hope, hope that continues. <laughs> <laughs> if Virgin is still around. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a great lifestyle. The hardest thing is you're away from your family and you, you miss your kids' sport during winter. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky that my family are now used to it and went through some hard times when the kids were younger and, and the boys had grown up with me always being away a fair bit and that's where you try to put in time over summer. Um, but it's hard. On a Friday afternoon, you go in the airport, fly into Perth, you come back Sunday night um, at midnight mm. and you do, you know, I used to always think to myself, Friday after I'm driving to the airport, you're thinking, am I being a great husband here? Am I being a great father? Yeah. Well, you, know, you, you tend to be a bit selfish because you know you're going to catch up with your recruiters over in WA, you're going to have a beer with them Friday night, you're going to eat a nice meal, watch some footy. It's a, it's a pretty good lifestyle. But you're leaving your family behind, but you're doing that to earn money to support your family. So it's a real juggling act. Yeah, I had this conversation with Tom actually about balance and we hear it a lot in the footy landscape and I, I quizzed him and I have my belief on it I, and you used the word selfish as well. I think balance is bullshit in the football industry. I'm not too sure it exists because it is the most selfish industry, even at a local level as yeah. a coach. Um, you're burning a lot of your family on weekends and you are missing a lot and even during the week too. Um, I find I can be leaving the house at the worst times for, for training yeah. and or, or not being at home yeah. for those times of dinner, bed, homework, yes. drop-offs and pick-ups. Um, yeah. Do you have any advice around that, mate, or is it how I've described it? It is bullshit. The balance doesn't exist and you just need a really, <laughs> you need a really understanding wife and family to, to yeah. help you through it. Look, look, I reckon it is you, you, definitely part of that's right. Because I can remember when um, the unfortunate was Phil Walsh when he passed away and he yeah. was obsessed with footy and reading about it, that it affected his relationship with his family. Yeah. And, it, and it, it, you know, it paid a huge price for that. Um, and so it's such a sad story. Yeah. And the whole footy industry sort of took a step back and spoke about balance. And then three weeks later, it's all full on again. Yeah, that's so trying to reflect on on your behaviours, um, and and think of things like that. And then when you are home, are you switched off footy? Yeah, you know, the phone's off, um, and that's really difficult in recruiting because you, you know I'd be lying at night thinking, are we going to pick this player or that player, or we've got to do this tomorrow, and and to, to switch off and give quality time to your family. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the key to it. And that is easier said than done. Yeah. No doubt about that. But if I think if you can have someone as a critical friend and who you can catch up with, giving you feedback and talking through that, that yeah. can help with your reflection. It's really hard to do it yourself because you're just so busy. Yeah. Um, so someone to, to catch up with and, and to give you that feedback and ask you about those sort of balance issues would be beneficial, I think. Have you had that in your own experience? I have, yeah. I've had a guy um, who I met at Eastern Rangers, who, a guy called Brendan Mason, who's yep. um, uh, been in footy, police, really good at the political side of things, dealing with big organisations and the police force is, is very political. Yeah. Um, 
So he was a great help to me at, at the Bulldogs and, um, and and just talking about your whole life and, you know, just catching up as a critical friend. And, yeah, he was fantastic and a, still a good mate today. And honest with you, because you don't want a bloke just pumping you up all the time. It's got to yeah. be honest. Yeah. That's fantastic. Great insight, mate. Before I let you go, I wanted to be... We haven't talked a lot about Sydney. Um, there hasn't been a lot of time spent there. There's been a little bit, but your short period there, what have you seen in regards to the Bloods culture that we hear a lot about? What's Kinnear Beatson like? I know he's a he's a doyen in the space. He's He's been a fantastic recruiter for such a long time. Um, what are the differences? What do you enjoy about it? And the current move to Sydney? Look, um... Uh, working with great people. So a recruiting team, there's only four of us full-time, so small. Um, part of recruiting is because you spend so much time with these people, Yeah. Um, one of Scotty Clayton's criteria in a pointing start is they've got to be a good bloke. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to be um, prepared to want to spend time with them. You don't want when you're at an airport or waiting in a lounge and the flight's delayed, yeah, there's just so much dead time where you're hanging around. Yeah. So enjoy their company. Um, obviously got to be competent and so forth and have a skill set. But um, the Sydney guys, we just get on really well. The banter, I've just had a, a Zoom beer with them tonight. We do every Friday night. Um, during this period where we, we have a beer and, and just catch up over Zoom. Yeah. Um, was just sort of hit us next week. We'll be able to go to each other's houses. <laughs> so, um, but that, that's that's the main part of it. The coach is really good. Just a, a down-to-earth country fella. Yeah. Um, good to work with. Um, don't seem as much as you do from a Melbourne-based club, but... Yeah. Um, Really, when you do go up to Sydney, it makes you feel welcome. Um, the club is very clear on know your role, play your role. Um, I don't coach. I don't, I don't get involved in that. I don't get involved in list management in terms of watching other AFL clubs. My job is recruiting. Yeah. That's what I do. And Kinnear, that's one of his huge strengths. He's brutal on making sure everyone stays in that space. And that was probably one of the things I I regretted the Bulldogs in that I was a bit soft in terms of people wanted to, and this can happen at AFL clubs, people want to climb the ladder yeah. and they want to jump from doing that job to doing the fancy stuff of calling the players out on draft night. Right. If you don't get the admin and the data right, then you'll end up making poor decisions. So it's... Do you do a really good job in that role and you might become a recruiting manager and will help you, but you got to do know your role, play your role yeah. um, and stay within in your lane, so to speak. Yep. Uh, and Sydney do that fantastically well. In the end, the Bulldogs was out of control. It would be like in a swimming race. <laughs> and lane eight is running into lane one. <laughs> um, and I've, that, back, I've backed a few horses that have done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that was because the manager at the time didn't support me to keep them in their lane. Yeah. Uh, um, and then people say, "Oh, you you're hard to get on with." Well, I was just trying to keep you in your lane. So that's the greatest thing I see with the Swans. And Kinnear is he's ruthless on it. Um, Rat cunning, 
really good eye for talent, creative thinker, um, reflects on his mistakes and learns from them. Um, so, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good team. And hopefully it will be a team that will be together for the, a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the proof's there, isn't it? Because Sydney, they don't bottom out. They just keep challenging um, year after yeah. year. So it's a it's a sustainable model that works, mate. Um, yeah. yeah. I haven't, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to take a couple more minutes of your time. At the end of the day, we're in isolation anyway. So, um, um, ruts, just to interrupt, my battery life here is running out. What have I got? I've got 5% left. So right, I, Well, let's just go and... Let's drain it, mate. It won't take long. I want to know your most memorable, whether it was funny or just a good story, the house visit. the Going to the house visit to recruit a player, have you got one that stands out and why? Um, yeah, I suppose the one that stands out, and you do, you do so many, and it's one of the great parts of the job because you... you um, you just see so many different backgrounds. And as a recruiter, you're basically an analyzer of human behavior. Okay. Not only to the player, but you're analyzing mum and dad. Yeah. Trying to work them out and the relationship with the player and is the kid spoiled? Is your mummy's boy? Uh, is dad a dominating personality? Um, all these sort of issues. Yep. Um, Bonten Pally was a classic one in that. Um, uh, dads of uh, European descent never kicked the footy in his life. Mum's a blonde Australian girl from a big sporting family. And I knew mum's uncles, uh, yep. mum's brothers. I'd played cricket against them and, and knew them quite well. Um, we go to the interview and first thing they say is, do you want a beer? <laughs> uh, I say, okay, just don't normally drink during the interview. The fire's on. It's a beautiful nice home in Eltham. Yeah. Um, Dad's a concreter. The driveway hasn't been concreted. Yeah. Um, there's mud and crap everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brendan McCartney comes with us. They don't know who Brendan McCartney is. <laughs> they thought Brendan McCartney was uh, the sports psych. <laughs> I'm sitting on my chair like I am now. The dog comes up to me and at that stage, I wasn't a great dog person. I'm sort of shy. The dog knows that I'm a bit fearful. <laughs> the dog, I sort of go like that. The dog goes back. So the mum starts calling me the dog hater. <laughs> she, does, she calls McCartney the, the psych. And then we had another little fella. She thought he was the next jockey. <laughs> and it was just a... Funny night. Yeah, we were there, I reckon, almost two hours. Wow. Had about three beers. And then um, and then by the end of the night, we said, this is the coach. This is Brendan McCartney. <laughs> Macca was a low-profile coach. Yeah. So they thought he was a sports psych. So it was just a, a fun night. Um, and then we ended up picking him. And, and he ended up, you know, like... Oh, I haven't seen mum and dad for a while now, but you'd see them and you're just great friends with them. It yeah. was just a great, um, the night we picked him, we are on the Gold Coast, there's an after party, it's just a great night. And then he goes on and he's the face of the club and you know, seeing a kid that is probably on about 800,000, 
um, and you pick him as a 18 year old from Marceline College from the Northern Knights. So, and it's changed his life and changed the family and um, uh, a, a great success story. Which no, they don't all turn out like that. Uh, Mate, that's a, a great night because it's such a positive night. Yeah, um, and you really enjoy it. But um, yeah, that was one that was memorable for a lot of reasons. Well, the whole time I've been engaging the story and hoping that your battery didn't cut out, mate. So Sorry, I, uh, I, uh, I've got 3% now. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> well, it's fitting that we finish up on one of your favourite recruiting stories, being a kid from Marcelin, and you obviously yeah. one of the early parts of your journey was at Marcelin, mate. So terrific learnings and insights um, from a person that's forged a career through uh, the AFL landscape. And I hope that through the uh, the COVID uh, situation that we're going through now, mate, that you guys stay safe and well and you get back into recruiting with Kinnear and the boys sooner rather than later. And I really thank you for your time. It's been a cool chat. No worries, Ruts, and uh, good to chat, mate, and hope uh, all the best for your footy and, and the podcast, mate. Well done on it. Good man, Dally. Thanks, Ruts. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. Be sure to share it on all your social platforms or even text an email. And please stay tuned next week for another episode of Hear the Voice. Thanks again.